show we're going to provide a lot of alternate definitions. You've heard of this? Yep, it's going to be redefined. Self-love is going to get the treatment, so is love of the neighbor, love of the world, and even love of God. Why go to all this trouble? Well, all these pieces need to be realigned because they then point the way not just to a fundamental truth about the human psyche, but to a tangible map to happiness, a guide to arranging our minds in the form of heaven. It sounds pretty good to me and sounds worth a little expansion of the dictionary. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Glad to have you here. We're talking about love today. <laughs> so wanted to feel the love, you came to the right spot. My name is Curtis Childs. I'm your loving host, and we're going to be looking at these topics from the Swedenborgian angle, which as we do every week, but this week in particular, he will often take phrases and assign them particular meanings or use meanings that were current in his time or variations on those. So we want to make sure that we're all on the same page with what we're talking about. And then once we know that, we should be able to crack into some pretty deep mysteries about what it is to be a human being and, and where we're trying to head. So we're going to start with a question that was made very famous by a particular song. So let's take a look in part one. And I wonder if it hadn't been for that skit that particular skit, if that song would even be as famous as it is. The point is, what is love is a legit question on its own, irrespective of that stuff, because that word has so many different meanings, means different things to different people, is used in very different contexts. And Swedenborg uses this word all over the place, and he thought it was important to lay down a definition for it. He actually begins his book, Divine Love and Wisdom, with the following passage. And in it, he says, love is our life. For most people, the existence of love is a given, but the nature of love is a mystery. As for the existence of love, this we know from everyday language. We say that someone loves us, that monarchs love their subjects, and that subjects love their monarch. We say that a husband loves his wife, and that a mother loves her children, and vice versa. We say that people love their country, their fellow citizens, their neighbor. We use the same language about impersonal objects, saying that someone loves this or that thing. Even though the word love is so commonly on our tongue, still hardly anyone knows what love is. When we stop to think about it, we find we cannot form any image of it in our thoughts. So we say either that it is not really anything or that it is simply something that flows into us from our sight, hearing, and touch, and conversation, and therefore influences us. We are wholly unaware that it is our very life. Not just the general life of our whole body and of all our thoughts, but the life of their every least detail. People say it's all about love. You find that everywhere from sort of in a more new agey context to like the Beatles and so on. But Swedenborg is very serious about it. He says, love is our life, but love not 
maybe in the maybe more expansively than you've thought of it and it has to do with what love is leading us what is driving us to do the things that we do he talks about it in true christianity 399 again he asserts our love is our very life itself the nature of our love determines the nature of our life and in fact our entire nature as a human being Our dominant or leading love, however, is the love that constitutes us. So here we've got a division in this nebulous concept. There is a particular leading or dominant love within us. Our dominant or leading love has many other loves. They are derived from it in a hierarchy beneath it. No matter how these other loves may look or seem, each one of them is part of our leading love. With it, they make one government, so to speak. Our dominant love is like the monarch and leader of the rest. It guides our other loves and uses them as intermediate purposes through which it focuses on and aims for its goal. He goes on, both directly and indirectly, this goal is the primary and ultimate objective for them all. The focus of our dominant love is what we love above all else. What we love above all else is constantly present in our thinking because it is in our will and ultimately constitutes our life. For example, if we love wealth above everything else, whether that means money or property, we are constantly contemplating how to get more. When we do get more, we are profoundly overjoyed. When we lose wealth, we are profoundly grief-stricken. Our heart is in it. If we love ourselves above all else, we keep ourselves in mind at all times. We think about ourselves, talk about ourselves, and act for our own benefit, because our life is a life of self. So he is positing here that every human being has something that motivates them, some primary goal. And you might think that's not true. Not everybody does, because if you narrow it down to, oh, somebody's motivated by wanting to become an astronaut. Not everybody has such a specific dream. But in the in the categories that we're looking at, in these broad senses, everybody does have a goal. And you might not even think about it like that if you don't get into your own, uh, don't examine your own thoughts and feelings. But what is the goal? And I think at times, you know, especially when you're younger, yourself is the goal. And you don't think of it like that. But in everything you do, you're, tr- you're trying to make yourself cooler, make yourself ha- have more friends, be more successful. That is what's lying behind everything. Another way to look at it is what's our purpose in life, implicit or explicit. He talks about this in True Christianity 400, which is, uh, we're going to look at 400 and 399 here, but 400 we're going to return to a lot in the course of this show. The purpose or use determines the quality of the love. The nature of any love is the nature of the purpose it has. Everything else about it serves as a means. So what are we trying to do? What's the goal in everything that we do? Our purpose is what we love above all else. We focus on it in each and everything we do. It exists in our will like a hidden current in a river that moves and carries things along, even when we are doing something else, because it is what motivates us. That that says well the point I was trying to get across, which is if you have, if the driving love in your life is a love for power or advancement or something like that, you're not always thinking about it, but it's there. Even when you're doing mundane things like the stuff you need to do around your house, you're thinking of increasing prestige, that kind of thing. So I'm using it in a negative sense, but it can be in a positive sense too, and we're going to look at all that as we go along. So what what are these categories of love that can be found in every person? Like I said before, it might not seem like everyone is so singularly motivated, but there are broad goals that everybody is pointing at at different times. So we're going to introduce ourselves to what these four categories are in section two. 
This is actually a subject that we've touched on in this channel before. Way, way back in the beginning, before we had these hour-long shows, we were doing shorter videos, and we made one that was called The Universal Categories of Love. And that is based on an essay that Swedenborg wrote in True Christianity. We'll read a little bit of it here tonight, but where he explains these fundamental categories of motivation in human beings. So we made a video about it, and we want to use some clips. This show is an expansion of that concept, so we're going to use some clips from it. The premise of that video, believe it or not, is that I am mowing my lawn with a, a real mower that has no engine, and so it's an environmentally responsible thing to do, but why am I doing it? Is there sinister or positive motivation, and what would sinister or positive motivation look like in something as silly as mowing your lawn? So we're going to take a look at a clip here where we get introduced to the categories of love. If I was going to have a really healthy day, it would be about prioritizing the types of love. There are three universal categories of love or of motivation that drive people. And it might not seem intuitive to label them this way, but work with me for a minute. The fundamental categories are love of usefulness, love of the world, and love of the self. The way we interact with them and the way they're prioritized in us dictates everything. But to really believe that, you've got to meet them first. And we are going to meet them as we go along in the show. But before you start thinking about your family members and, oh, who's a love of usefulness? Who's a love of self? Who's love of the world? We have all that. We all have all of those within us. And actually, it's okay that we have all those within us. We're actually supposed to. It's actually good that we have all that stuff within us. But it's about the arrangement of the order. And that's the key takeaway for today is how we prioritize things affects how they show up in us and affects how conducive they are to the heavenly minds that we're trying to get to. Swedenborg talks about this in True Christianity 394. This is his essay here. You can see it's got the title up there. When he lays out what he means by these. There are three universal categories of love. Love for heaven, love for the world, and love for ourselves. We are starting with these three categories of love because they are universal and fundamental to all types of love and because goodwill has something in common with each of the three. And remember that thing right there. We'll put a little asterisk by it because we're going to come back to that. Goodwill has something in common with each of the three, meaning all three of them can be good, and we'll look at how. First, he lays them out. Love for heaven means love for the Lord and also love for our neighbor. Love for heaven could be called love for usefulness. Notice in that clip, we called it love for usefulness because that uh, is more directly what it's about. Because both love for the Lord and love for our neighbor have usefulness as their goal. Love for the world is not only love for wealth and possessions, but also love for all the things that the world provides that please our physical senses. Beauty pleases our eye, harmony pleases our ear, fragrance pleases our nose, excellent food pleases our palate, soft touch pleases our skin. It also includes beautiful clothes, spacious accommodations, and interestingly, social groups to belong to. All the pleasures that we get from these and many other things. And finally, love for ourselves is not only a love for respect, glory, fame, and status, but also a love for seeking and getting high positions and becoming a leader. You can see right there, he's busy redefining 
things, love for ourselves. We hear that phrase used nowadays in a positive sense. Like you got to don't beat yourself up in your mind. Feel good about who you are. Be empowered. That's a real strong current. He is not really talking about that. He's talking about this sort of ruthless ambition or a belief that you are superior to other people. That's the love of self that he's getting at. So you could see that there he laid it out. We, we have our four types, and we had them in the video. We have love of self, love of usefulness, two, three. Oh, wait a second, let me count that one. No, that's wrong. We, we only have three. We're supposed to have four. Isn't this section called the four? What is that? Well... Actually, those three are four. The, this one, love of usefulness, is, div is divided into two. And Swedenborg describes it in TC399. We're giving you a video here with some visuals to lay it out. When you get back from this video, you will be officially introduced to the four kinds of love. There are two types of love that act as a source for all forms of goodness and truth. There are two types of love that act as a source for all forms of evil and falsity. The two loves that originate all forms of goodness and truth are love for the Lord and love for our neighbor. The two loves that originate all forms of evil and falsity are love for ourselves and love for the world. When the latter two loves are dominant, they are completely opposite to the former two loves. Love for the Lord and love for our neighbor are the two loves that constitute heaven in us, as I said. They are the dominant types of love in heaven. Since they constitute heaven in us, they also constitute the church in us. The two loves that originate all forms of evil and falsity, which, as I said, are love for ourselves and love for the world, constitute hell in us, since they are the dominant types of love in hell. Therefore, they also destroy the church in us. The two types of love that originate all forms of goodness and truth, which are the types of love in heaven, open and form our inner spiritual self, because that is where these loves reside. The two types of love that originate all forms of evil and falsity, which as I have said are the types of love in hell, close and destroy our inner spiritual self when they are dominant. They make us earthly and sense-oriented depending on how extensively and powerfully dominant they are. To the less that this is making sense, the more you should relax your, what you think those terms mean. Love of self, love of the neighbor, love of the Lord, love of the world. Because as I said, Swedenborg means something very specific with them. Love of yourself doesn't mean having a decent self of self, sense of self-esteem. It means the desire to exercise power over other people and seeing them as completely worthless in, in comparison with yourself. Think about a dictator, something like that. That's the ultimate expression of love of self. And we're going to define these more and more as we go. We should be getting a clearer picture of why, yeah, you got to have love of the Lord, love of the neighbor on top, love of self, love of the world on the bottom, but what even those are. Um, so, so bear with us as we define them. Before we get to that, a little interesting tangent. This, These four loves are what parallel the arrangement of the spiritual world. Since the heart and mind are the, a microcosm of the spiritual world, and we're supposed to be arranging these, and they're actually on a grand scale, heaven and hell are arranged in the same way. Swedenborg talks about it in Heaven and Hell 596. 
He says, there are two kingdoms into which the heavens are divided, the celestial kingdom and the spiritual kingdom. In like manner, the hells are divided into two kingdoms, one of which is opposite to the celestial kingdom and the other opposite to the spiritual kingdom. All who are in the celestial kingdom are in love to the Lord, and all who are in the hells opposite to that kingdom are in the love of self. While all who are in the spiritual kingdom are in love toward the neighbor, and all who are in the hells opposite to that kingdom are in love of the world. Evidently, then, love to the Lord and love of self are opposites, and in like manner, love toward the neighbor and love of the world are opposites. So you have this arrangement and this pushing back, just like you saw those hearts pushing on each other in the video. That's how heaven and hell push on each other. And the, the conflict going on in our hearts and minds all the time is a result of that pushing from heaven and hell. So it's all connected and it's okay to have love of self and love of the world. The, these are not things that are intrinsically evil. It's about ordering. So before we even look closely, because I know that probably springs into people's minds, like, wait, what's wrong with enjoying sensual things? What's wrong with liking yourself? They're okay. They just need, there's particular places that they shouldn't be in. It's sort of like uh, stomach acid. You know, if that is anywhere but in your belly, you got a real problem in the body. So before we look at the specific types, we're going to look at how they really all are meant to be. We're going to do it now in part three. So you may remember, not that long in ago in the show, we made a promise to you, and we made it using this little asterisk. And he's back to tell us that now we're going to talk about how, yeah, goodwill has something in common. That phrase might not mean anything to you. Goodwill has something in common with all of them, meaning they all can be part of a loving human being, but it's got to be ordered correctly. True Christianity 394. Goodwill has something in common with each of these categories of love. See, I told you. Because goodwill is by definition a love for usefulness of all kinds. Goodwill wants to do what is good for our neighbor, and goodness is the same as usefulness. Each of the categories of love just mentioned have usefulness as their goal. Love for heaven has the goal of being useful in spiritual ways. Love for the world has the goal of being useful in earthly ways, which could also be called forms of civil service. And love for ourselves has the goal, ourselves has the goal of being useful in physical ways, which could also be labeled benefits at home for ourselves and our loved ones. So it's confusing. It's The pendulum has swung now. Before, Swedenborg was talking about how evil these loves are, and you guys at home were probably like, they're not that evil. Now he's like, they're fine, they're fine. But how can they be fine when we've just defined love of the world and love of self as these really cancerous kind of things for the spirit? Well, they can work together, but it has to do with the arrangement. And we talked about this in the Categories of Love video, so we're going to give you another clip about it. Now, if you're like me, you're jumping around between these three types of motivation all the time, usually without even realizing it. It's not that these other two types are evil, and you've got to get rid of them and never talk to them again. Like I said before, it's all about priorities. We're all born with these three types of love inside us, but who's going to end up in charge? There are three basic vacancies in us. Let's call them the head, the body, and the feet. The head's in charge, it calls the shots, it sees and decides the course, the body responds and moves, and the feet just do what everyone tells them to. If love of the self takes the head, then I'm running for governor because I want to be governor. I want that title, I want that praise, I want that recognition. 
getting kickbacks from lobbyists and the salary won't be that bad either. And as for the purpose of the position, the legislation society at large, the problems people are having and how I can help, the suffering I can prevent, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, it's good to do some of that stuff to get the people's affection. It's a good vehicle to get me where I want to go. But if love of the world is up top, then who cares how I look? This whole company exists to make me money. I'll fabricate profits to drive my stock up, I'll exploit loopholes, I'll cheat people out of their retirement money. Obviously, these two combinations don't work out well, for me or for the rest of the world. But if these three forces end up in the order they were meant to be in, the order that makes us healthy and human, then I'm doing my job in integrity for the good of the world, where I'm making my little donation to Habitat for Humanity because I'm thinking about what it feels like to have somewhere to live, the joy of having a clean, safe space for the most important things in your life. The tax break is cool, but it's not a deal breaker if it doesn't work out. If nobody notices, okay. If someone does, well, who doesn't like to be appreciated? And under the umbrella of loving usefulness, the other two can be in tune, laid back. But which Curtis is the real one? Which Curtis is, do why is Curtis doing this show? Is it the love of self, Curtis? Is it the love of the world, Curtis? Is it the love of you? I don't know. I can't tell you. You have to figure that out for yourself. In case that metaphor doesn't work for you as well, Swedenborg gives this very interesting description of the mind like a three-storied house, which you also see that kind of symbolism in dreams. People will have, uh, we, we talked about, we did a whole show on dreams, but very common to have a house be the symbol for the mind. He talks about how there are all these things in us, but once we've mastered the levels of love, we have them prioritized, we can move around the house of the mind with impunity. So you're getting kind of video spoiled in this episode. I'm sending you right back into another video. This is from True Christianity 395, and I'll see you on the other side. The human mind is like a three-story house with stairs that provide transitions between levels. There are angels from heaven living on the top floor, people of the world on the middle floor, and demons on the bottom floor. People for whom these three categories of love have been prioritized in the right way can go up or down whenever they want. When they go up to the top floor, they are like angels among the angels there. When they go down to the middle floor, they are like angelic people with the people there. When they go even farther down, they are like worldly people with the demons there. They give the demons instructions, confront them, and tame them. When these three categories of love are properly prioritized in us, they are also coordinated in such a way that the highest love, our love for heaven, is present in the second love, our love for the world, and through that in the third or lowest love, our love for ourselves. In fact, the love that is inside steers the love that is outside wherever it wants. Therefore, if a love for heaven is present in our love for the world, and through that in our love for ourselves, with each type of love we accomplish useful things that are inspired by the God of heaven. That's an important image, that last thing there, as, as Matt called it, the, the love stoplight. Because there you see, when you have the good love in charge, it appears inside, it's the soul of these other two kinds of love, and that turns them from potentially harmful things into good, positive things that are within the bounds of their usefulness, like parts of the body that are within their membranes, hooked up where they need to be in the proper pockets of the body. So that is the importance. You, you notice this whole metaphor of walking around the house. It's not like 
once you get your priorities straight, you know, the most important thing is helping the human race, which we'll see that love of God actually means helping everyone. Uh, once that's the most important thing, and then the the physical or the, you know, sensory kind of gratifications we get are in the middle, the enjoyments are in the middle, and our own esteem is lowest, then it's not that all problems disappear. He doesn't say that once you get those prioritized, you know, you kick all the demons out of the bottom layer of your house, you get rid of these, it's all angel party. We get the ability to be be the masters of our own territory there. That there still are, there's always going to be hell around. I mean, there's hell around, at least while we're in this world. But it's like when we go down there, what did he say? You know, you're telling them, wait, no, this is how it is. You have to go do this. You're in charge now. They're not running you. When you're in with the middle level, you are like a little bit above that. You're bringing light into it, and you're like an angel when you're up with the angels. So it gives us the ability to navigate, having those prioritized. We still have them all within us, and we still go visit all the places in, the, in our mind, the positive and negative thoughts and feelings, but we have power. Suddenly we're not at the mercy of the, the weather or the house guests. You know, we get to say, my house, my rules. And that's the promise of getting these categories of love prioritized. And another thing about how all the different kinds of love are meant to be in us, we're supposed to have even the negative ones at the head earlier on in life. We go through these stages of development Swedenborg talks about. This is from Apocalypse Explained 1144. And this is uh, one that isn't translated in the NCE, so it's a little bit older of a translation. It has been said that the love of self and the love of the world are hell. Right, We were talking about that. But the source of those loves shall now be explained. Man was created to love self and the world, to love the neighbor and heaven, and to love the Lord. For this reason, when a man is born, he first loves himself and the world, and afterwards, so far as he becomes wise, he loves the neighbor and heaven. And as he becomes wiser still, he loves the Lord. Such a man is in the divine order and is actually led by the Lord, although apparently by himself. But so far as he is not wise, he stops in the first degree, which is to love himself and the world. And if he loves the neighbor, heaven, and the Lord, it is for the sake of the self before the world. He goes on to say, but if he is wholly unwise, he loves himself alone, and the world and also the neighbor for the sake of self, while heaven and the Lord he either despises or denies or hates in heart, if not in words. These are the origins of the love of self and of the love of the world, and as these loves are hell, it is evident whence hell is. When a man becomes the hell, the inner or higher part becomes a hell, the inner or higher parts of his mind are closed up, and the outer or lower are opened. And as the love of self determines all things of the thought and will to itself and immerses them in the body, it inverts and twists its back the outer parts of the mind, which, as has been said, are open. And as a consequence, these incline and bend and are borne downwards, that is, towards hell. Summary being focused on just yourself or just pleasure messes you up. And it actually is a sign of that we, we failed to launch. Like you got stuck in a, in a particular level of development. Like you're, you're 45 and you're still thinking about, oh, high school was so great. You know, high school was the glory days. That is what he's saying, that we're supposed to, when we're young, be completely all about ourselves. When we're getting older, be just about gratification. But then we're supposed to rise above that as we grow older and become about the human race, the good of humankind, which as we'll see is what love of the Lord, love of the neighbor means. He actually gives the example of 
babies, which that is a cute baby. And we don't care if babies, even ones that are a little older and can talk and that kind of stuff, are completely focused on themselves a lot of the time. You don't give me what I want. I'm going to cry. If you have like a group of preschoolers, they can be very sweet to each other, but also very, very antagonistic toward each other. But you don't think, oh, that's an evil kid. You, it, Swedenborg even says that love of self, because of the innocence of children and the love that they have, it's excusable. It's even kind of cute, you know, which it is. And so in their proper order, everything's fine. And we're, we, we're not trying to say you never have love of self, love of the world in yourself. It's just that as we grow, we come into these higher loves. That's the way it's meant to be. All hell is disorder. So it's the failure to properly grow into these new categories. All right, we got to look now because when I'm saying love for the Lord, love for the neighbor, you might think love for the Lord is the highest love. So it's above love of the neighbor, so it's better for me to, like, if I think about God and love God more than I love my mom, then I'm enlightened. But that's not what it is. He gives a much more clear definition that makes, I think, a lot more sense, uh, both cognitively and emotionally. So let's take a look at these two heavenly loves in section four. We're going to begin this section with another look into the categories of love short video because it does introduce us to heavenly loves. Remember, this video is about me mowing the lawn without using fossil fuels, without uh, polluting. So here it is. We've just given the examples of how I could be doing it for negative reasons, but this is why what it would look like if I was doing that action truly with the love prioritized rightly. I mean, can't this simple act, this little part of routine, really be something transcendent, something inspiring, a genuinely healthy action? Yeah, it can. And not because I'm having some mystical experience while I do it, not because I do it exceptionally fast or well, but because, put mundanely enough, I want to do this because it's good. Because of the good this does for the world. I'm not loving how it makes me look, I'm not loving what it gets for me, but I've kept a little bit of crud out of the atmosphere. And so here a little kid takes a breath of fresh air that's good for their lungs, and I'm loving that. People can sit in peace on their patio, and I'm loving that. Oil doesn't leak into the water supply so someone can drink and not carry toxins around with them, and I'm loving that. I'm loving the work and the health for my body so I can help others. I love the lawn space I'm creating for the kids and the dogs and the people that will play in it. The feelings they'll get out of it. I may not even meet some of these people, and they'll probably never draw the connection between these two events, but I know. I know the good this will do, and I'm holding that in my mind. The healthy kid, the clean water, the place to play. I know the function of this activity, its service to the common good, its use. And that's what it is to love usefulness. This is the sweet spot. That's high quality fuel for a mind. It's a mental exercise you can do pretty easily. Actually, Wilson Van Dusen, if you go to the Swedenborg Foundation website, Swedenborg.com, search Uses by Wilson Van Dusen. He wrote this cool pamphlet on the, an easy way to do that as a mental exercise is when you're doing something simple, mowing the lawn, washing the dishes, think about the good. Like if I'm washing dishes, I could just be thinking, okay, I'm trying to get this clean. I got to get this done so I can watch TV. But if you're thinking about the next person who drinks from that cup and them having a clean uh, receptacle for their liquid beverage of whatever kind, that 
is thinking about usefulness. It's thinking about what you're actually doing. If you're at your job, instead of focusing on when do I get out of here, think about the customer, whoever it is that you're benefiting through your work, the benefit, them receiving that benefit, that's connecting to this higher love of usefulness. And so that's what it is there. And Swedenborg talks about it in Heaven and Hell, number 15. And this is where we start getting into this love of the Lord, love of the neighbor, these two subcategories, and what do they mean? There are two quite distinguishable loves in heaven, love for the Lord and love for our neighbor. Love for the Lord is characteristic of the third or central heaven, while love for our neighbor is characteristic of the second or intermediate heaven. Both come from the Lord, and each one makes a heaven. In heaven's light, it is easy to see how these two loves differ and how they unite, but this can be seen only dimly in our world. In heaven, loving the Lord does not mean loving him for the image he projects but loving the good that comes from him. Further, loving one's neighbor does not mean loving companions for the image they project, but loving the truth that comes from the word. Wait, we got to look at that, because that is a major redefinition there. In heaven, loving the Lord does not mean loving him for the image he projects, but loving the good that comes from him. When you hear loving the Lord, you probably think of you're picturing God, you're picturing Jesus in your mind, and really, really loving that image. But no, loving the Lord is loving goodness. God is love and goodness. It's loving that. So loving to do good things for people, that is loving the Lord. Because God, what God wants to do is benefit and make everyone as happy as possible. When you are loving that effort, that's loving the Lord. And he says, loving one's neighbor does not mean loving companions for the images they project, but loving the truth that comes from the word. So it's not now, since lo loving other people is contained in the first one, the second one is loving what's true, loving the means. And actually, he gives a little more if we return to heaven in hell 15. He says, what does it mean to love the truth? Loving the truth is intending and doing it. We can therefore see that these two loves differ the way good and true differ and unite the way these two unite. Loving the truth is intending and doing it. So that means, uh, you know, I know it's this X thing X is the right thing to do. I want to do it. That's loving the neighbor. Loving the Lord is loving the good, loving the good in all people, loving to benefit those people. The good and truth are always related in Swedenborg, just like those two loves are. He talks about it further, Divine Love and Wisdom 427. There are two loves that are the grounds of a basic distinction in the heavens. When, when he's talking about heavens, this is, can also be talking about our mind, because our mind is either a miniature heaven or miniature hell. Namely, heavenly love and spiritual love. Heavenly love is love for the Lord, and spiritual love is love for our neighbor. So if you ever hear him talking about heavenly spiritual or, or celestial spiritual, he's talking about that. The difference between these two loves is that heavenly love is a love for what is good, while spiritual love is a love for what is true. When we are moved by heavenly love, we do our acts of service out of love for what is good. While when we are moved by spiritual love, we do them out of love for what is true. The marriage of heavenly love is with wisdom, and the marriage of spiritual love is with intelligence. Which wisdom, might some people might just define that as intelligence, but to him, wisdom was had a moral component to it. It's doing good in life. Wisdom is doing what is good because it is good, and intelligence is doing what is good because it is true. 
This means that heavenly love acts out what is good, while spiritual love acts out what is true. The only way I can describe the difference between these two loves is to say that people who are motivated by heavenly love have wisdom written not on their memory, but on their lives. This is because they do not talk about divine truths, they simply do them. In contrast, people who are moved by spiritual love have wisdom written on their memory. So they talk about divine truths and do them on the basis of the principles they hold in their memory, which I guess would be this show. We're always talking about spiritual concepts, so we're, we're more in that. But hopefully you guys watch it, get the concepts, and go do them, participating in that higher heavenly love. So what's the difference? Let's look a little farther, if you can stand a little more terminology, at the difference between these two kinds of love. This is Secrets of Heaven 10, 5, 7, 8. But a brief statement, and this is, you see how here it says Arcana Celestia instead of Secrets of Heaven? That's the Latin title. And because this number is so high up, the NCE hasn't translated it yet. So we're just leaving it with the old translation, which left the title in Latin, in case you wanted to know that. But a brief statement of what love to the Lord or loving the Lord is must be made here. Anyone who supposes that he can love the Lord without leading a life in keeping with his commandments is very much mistaken. For leading a life in keeping with them is what constitutes loving the Lord. Those commandments are truths received from the Lord and are so are such as to have the Lord within them. To the extent that therefore that these commandments are loved, that is to the extent that a person is inspired by love to lead a life in keeping with them, the Lord is loved. The reason why this should be so is that the Lord loves the person and in his love desires him to be eternally blessed and no one can become blessed except through a life led in keeping with his commandments. So there's a deeper picture of love to the Lord. For by means of these, the person is being regenerated and made spiritual and can then be raised to heaven. But loving the Lord without leading a life in keeping with his commandments does not constitute loving him. For then the person has nothing within him into which the Lord can flow and raise him to himself. He is like an empty vessel in that there was no life in him at all, nor any life at all in his love. The life of heaven, called eternal life, is not poured out into anyone directly, but through some agency. From all this, it may be recognized what loving the Lord is. So two things, the, the Ten Commandments, as written in the Bible, are all about how you, or I mean, in large part about how you behave toward other human beings, making sure that you treat them well, and especially the inner sense of those commandments, uh, as Swedenborg describes, they're all about loving the neighbor. So loving the Lord is following those and, and loving other people because God wants us to do that, and it's for our own sake. Only if we are trying to live by moral principles, trying to rise above the negative urges or, or impulses that we have, that's the only way there's a, an opening for God to get in, because God is that desire to rise above self and give to others. So if we live like that, God can come in, right? So there's a little more on love of the Lord, and love of the neighbor also has an, uh, more about it. Apocalypse Revealed, 356. At this point, I need, to, I need to say something about love for the neighbor or charity. Love for the neighbor is a love of obeying the Lord's commandments, which are first and foremost the ones on the second table of the Decalogue. You shall not kill, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet what belongs to the neighbor. Anyone who does not want to do these things because they are sins 
is loving the neighbor. So that may seem like, oh, there's some crossover here. It sort of seems like they're the same thing. Where's the distinction? Well, we have uh, Karen, who works on this show, once had this experience where that she had been reading those concepts a lot, but it became very viscerally clear to her what the distinction was. So we're going to hear her tell her story uh, with a little illustration to help it along. I was sitting in church one Sunday morning, waiting for the service to begin. I guess I was in kind of a low mood. People were walking in, and I began to notice critical thoughts popping into my head about people in the room. This was really discouraging, because I did not want those critical thoughts. Being a longtime reader of Swedenborg, I knew that negative thoughts were from spirits around me, so I decided to pull in a positive thought to try to counteract the negative ones. What came to me was, they're all little pieces of God. As soon as I said those words in my mind, I felt what seemed like a focused waterfall of love pouring into the top of my head and filling me up. I suddenly felt a tremendous surge of love for everyone in the room. In that moment, I understood something that Swedenborg often wrote about, but that I had not yet been able to intellectually grasp. He wrote that the highest angels are in love of God, and angels of a lower level are in love of the neighbor. But I had always had trouble with that. It seemed like he was saying the state of the highest heaven was some easy praying to God and loving a perfect divine being, rather than engaging in the more challenging kind of love toward our imperfect fellow humans. Aren't we supposed to make the effort to love one another? But now, with this love pouring into my head after mentally saying they're all little pieces of God, I totally got it. Love of the neighbor on its own can be more of a mental effort of tolerance, being willing to make the effort to care about people, even if they are not like me, because it's the right thing to do, which is a very good thing. But this was something much, much more. There was no effort in this feeling of love. This was loving God in the goodness of these people around me. It was an instant recognition of their value as sparks of the divine. So in loving God for that moment, I was able to love all the people around me with a power that had no conditions on it. God was present in these people. They were lovable, beautiful, and wonderful simply because they existed. This feeling only lasted a couple of seconds before I had to resist it and shut it out because it moved me so powerfully that I was going to start sobbing uncontrollably right there in the pew, which might have been a bit disruptive to the church service. I now have a new feeling of what it means to love God. To love God is to humbly turn toward and open up to God, which then allows me to recognize the presence of God in other people, in their goodness. This makes loving God into the same thing as loving the neighbor, only I'm not doing the loving with my own limited power. I'm working in partnership with God's love. From feeling the momentary power of that love, I get now how God's love can be too much to handle if we haven't softened enough to be able to receive it. Swedenborg sometimes described feeling a level of heavenly love that almost dissolved him. I deeply hope to be able to handle that level of love for more than a few seconds someday. 
So there's those concepts actually clicking in someone's mind and making sense. And there's going to be a bunch of nuance to it. So you may find them click for some other way for you. But they, what I've found is with Swedenborg's stuff, it seems like this is weird and theoretical. This is weird and theoretical. I get it. No, that is really potent. That makes a lot of sense. It just takes the right life circumstance to trigger it. And then you see the living thing in it rather than just a shell of the descriptive words, as Karin did there. You may have recognized these two uh, loves, love of the Lord, love of the neighbor, are the two great commandments. When, you know, Jesus is asked, what, what's, at, what's the whole point of this thing? He says, you shall love the Lord the, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets, meaning all the Old Testament. Uh, so that's pretty important. If all that stuff hinges on it, all spirituality, all religion hinges on love the, love the good, love the true. All right? So those are the heavenly loves, and maybe we should just skip the negative ones, but we're not going to because you got to know about those two, uh, even though they're not as fun. But as we said before, they're only negative when they're out of order. And we're going to look at them, what they're like out of order in this next section. said it before, I'll say it again. These loves, love of self, love of the world, can be the most direful hell in the human mind or spirit, but only when they're out of order. And we're going to look at them and their order here in another clip from the categories of love. So yeah, I'm mowing the lawn, but check it. I'm using one of those no pollution real mowers. So there it is, an action. But what's the essence of this action? What's the love that drives it? Which category is it? Well, that all depends on why I'm doing it. I might be doing it so that I look good. I want people to notice that I'm doing something good for the planet. I want to be part of a superior, eco-conscious, hip, cutting-edge group of people that are like so much more enlightened than the rest of the country and are the real heroes in the great struggle for blah, 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 blah. Everybody, meet love of the self. As the name implies, I have love of the self when I'd give anything for the cause of me. My number one priority is to benefit the self, whether it's about increasing its reputation, popularity, raising its official or unofficial status, power, influence. I'm the first and last thing on my mind, the apple of my own eye. Does this love of self run rampant where it shouldn't be out of the order, doesn't have that love of humankind within it. It's completely self serving and to further because you still you hear this love for yourself aren't you supposed to love yourself why is that so bad I'm, are you just saying i'm evil like religion always says no this love of self that we're talking about is a very different phenomenon and we're going to go over some bullet points about it that swedenborg lays out these are just going to go by real quick here as he describes it, love for ourselves is wanting good things for ourselves alone and not wanting good things for others unless we benefit. Doing something good only for reputation. I won't read every word, but these are all from his writings. You can pause the screen. If we don't see the benefit, we say, why should I do it? What, what's in it for me? We don't love the country, the church, the community, or anything truly good. We only really care about ourselves. We are only thinking about ourselves. And look at this and our own people. Everything we do is for ourselves and our own people. It can go beyond just us. It's There's a group, 
uh, of people that we consider ours. And he says here specifically our children, grandchildren, the people living around us or people that are in our group or also, as he says in this one, people who respect us, revere us, you know, whatever. So for some people, it's their racial or ethnic group, their country, whatever it is, or just people who get along with them or think politically like them. We only love them. We don't love the whole human race. Also, we think of people as our enemies when they don't show us respect. We are deeper into this love if we hate and persecute our neighbors for feeling that way. If we have a burning desire for revenge, that's the love of self. The more revenge we want, the more love of self. He lists some evil qualities in people who have love for themselves. Jealousy, unfriendliness, hostility, hatred, vengefulness, guile, deceit, ruthlessness, and cruelty. Also disregarding and disrespect for holy spiritual things. For, conspir- for, comparison, for comparison, here's some points about heavenly love. It's a love for usefulness because it is useful. Just because of the good done, not for the reputation gained. It's a love for good things that we do to benefit the surrounding community. If it's for our own sake and we that we do these good actions and that doesn't count you know if you're just trying to look good that's the same as loving self the more we have a heavenly kind of love we love actions that are useful the more we are led by the lord that's how god leads us is through our wanting to do good things that's a pliable plane that he can work through and in case you want to read more of that true christianity 400 everything is in that number you can download the book for free take a look here uh, when in charge that's the problem. When love of self is in charge, that's the problem. Let's read a little of True Christianity 400. The nature of love for ourselves is that the more the reins are let out, and this is getting into, yeah, where would it go if there weren't external restraints, fear of loss of reputation, fear of the law? That is, the more its external constraints are removed. Oh, hey, he's saying exactly what I said, which is a fear of the law and its penalties and a fear of losing our reputation, respect, advantage, position in life. That's the stuff that keeps everybody's love of self in check. The more our love for ourselves rushes on until it wants to control not only the entire planet, but also heaven and even God himself. It never has a limit or an end. This limitless desire for control lies hidden within all people who are in love with themselves, in love with themselves, although it is not visible to the world as long as the reins and constraints just mentioned hold them back. The nature of all people like this is that when whatever further progress upward becomes impossible for them, they stay where they are until moving up becomes possible again. This explains why people who love themselves like this are unaware that there is an insane and limitless obsession hiding inside them. It's really about rescuing us from negative spiritual tendencies. The whole thing is not about, uh, you know, making you feel bad. You might not even realize, oh, I I really would. You know, you never, the absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's anyone who's put in a position where they can go ahead and do whatever they want. They suddenly realize, wow, I do have these negative tendencies. So we need to let those be put. The only way to put those in check is to make them subservient to a love for service to the human race. For example, ruling over people. It's not that nobody should ever be in positions of authority, but there's two different kinds of loves of ruling, as Swedenborg describes them. One is you want to rule because you want to be in power and you want to exert your will onto other human beings and make them do what you want. On the other hand, somebody who wants to do a lot of good for the human race can want to be in power because from there you have the ability to do good things on a greater scale. Obviously, you could run for president of the United States for either reason, because you want power or because you want to serve on a greater scale. So either of those can be 
uh, motivations for the same action. And the motivation is what matters. Returning to True Christianity 400, this particular love for ruling power, the particular love for ruling power that people have had stays with them after their life in the world. So whatever we focus on here becomes part of our spirit. People who had power because they loved their neighbor are entrusted with power in the heavens. In that situation, they do not have the power. The good and useful causes they love have the power. And when good and useful causes have the power, the Lord has the power. People who had ruling power in the world because they love themselves are thrown out of office after their life in the world comes to an end. They are then forced into slavery. Well, that's part of the old you have to be around people who are like you. If you have a love of hell, which comes in the form of loving, of dominating, you're around all these other people that want to do the same thing. So everyone's always trying to shut each other down, rule over each other. You have to experience <clears throat> both sides of it. So that brings us to love of the world. I mean, is that is that good? Do you get what we mean by a negative love of ourself there? It's not like, oh yeah, maybe I am good at painting. This is This is, I want to rule the human race, smash everyone who doesn't go with me. That's the negative love of self. Now let's take a look at what's the negative love of the world, and we're going to do it by returning to our Categories of Love video. It might be that I'm here doing this, but I'm not really thinking about this green mower or this green grass, but something else that's green. Love of the world isn't just the love of money. At its essence, it's also the love of pleasure, if that makes sense. Things that are visually pleasing, pleasing to the ear, pleasing to the palate, and all other kinds of intense, expensive, decadent stuff. When love of the world is in charge, that stuff is the goal, the highest good. Life is about creature comforts, about seeking out sensory experiences of whatever kind floats your boat, or just hoarding cash. Maybe I have an eco-mo business, not because I care about the planet, but because I know that other people do, and I know I can exploit that to get some coin. If a better way to make more money came up, man, I ditched this so fast. So there it is, love of the world. Not so bad, but not so good either. Not really satisfied, living for future gratification. Meh. In case that's not clear enough for you, it's what the kids have all been asking for, another list of bullet points from True Christianity 400. Love for the world is wanting to redirect other people's wealth to ourselves with whatever skill we have, putting our heart in riches and letting the world distract us and steer us away from spiritual love, love for our neighbor and heaven. Also, when we long to redirect, which is a euphemism, other people's possessions to ourselves, like steal things by various methods, especially if we use trickery and deception, and provided we do not fear the law or losing our reputation, we take people's things away and, in fact, rob people blind. That's putting your love of stuff above their welfare. That's what having love of the world above love of the neighbor is. Pretty simple, right? Love for the world is not as opposite to heavenly love as love for ourselves is. The evils are not as enormous, so it's not quite as bad, but it can be bad and it can take many forms. It can be love for higher position instead of for power just to get wealth. You just want the salary and there's miserliness, all those sorts of things. Finally, if our purpose in gaining the wealth is the use we hope to get out of it. That's, that's the whole point, just gaining the wealth. So those are the negative ones. Now we have, do you have, do, is it all clear now? We have a clear sense of what these four loves are, but what how can they all work together as a happy family? We're going to look at that in our final section, part six.
So what's the common denominator? What's the element that all these have in common that brings them together? We're going to begin with the last clip from the categories of love. I'm not trying to lecture you about it. I'm not just trying to say, don't be bad, be good. Everyone knows that already. But for me, being aware of the categories and cognizant of which one I'm operating from is like being given the way out of a maze. If I'm mowing for the first two reasons, yeah, what's growing in the yard ends up the same, but what's growing in me, it's night and day. Watch the way anxiety and tension follow these first two. I would never realize, oh, it's not about figuring out the minutia of trying to be seen as exactly the person I want to be seen as, or being surrounded with just the things I want to be surrounded by, which always seems like I'm getting close, but never quite satisfied. This shows me, dude, it's a trap. You're on the whole wrong freeway. Universal categories of love. I'm just trying to pass them along for you if you want them, and just trying to order them correctly in myself whenever I can. Like, just as an example, let's say I was making a video about the universal categories of love. Would I just do it to make myself look good? Okay, so what I want you to do is just like make me look really cool. That's impossible. Well, then just like make everything else look bad so that I look really good. Or do I do it with love of the world on top? Okay, so it says here that people are more likely to donate if, uh, just, just put in some violin music and like a please donate button. Or am I doing it for the sake of the information, to get helpful things out? Simply because you and I are probably going through some of the same struggles, and maybe with the right tools we can make some progress. The common denominator is usefulness doing good things, which you go anywhere in Swedenborg, you'll find usefulness has this huge high importance. He talks about it in Divine Love and Wisdom 396. The reason love for ourselves and love for the world are hellish loves, the reason we could become absorbed in them and thereby destroy our own volition and discernment, which is our, the primary parts of our spirit, is that as created, love for ourselves and love for the world are heavenly loves. They are in fact loves proper to our physical self and of service to our spiritual service to our spiritual loves the way lo, sorry service to our spiritual loves using loves as a noun the way foundations are of service to houses it is love for ourselves and love for the world that prompt us to care about our bodies to want nourishment clothing and housing to take care of our homes to look for jobs in order to be useful to be granted respect due to the worth of our responsibilities so that people heed us and even to find delight and recreation and worldly pleasures so it's not that they're bad it's just that they need to be the foundation rather than the the top floor all these activities however should be for the sake of usefulness usefulness meaning doing good things for other people they bring us into a state of serving the lord and the neighbor in contrast when there is no love for serving the lord and the neighbor when there's nothing but love for using the world to suit ourselves then the love becomes hellish instead of heavenly it makes us focus our minds and spirits on our self-image, which intrinsically is completely evil. Because we're all in this together. If you think, I was thinking the other night about uh, what would make me really happy, and if I started to imagine things going really well for me. But that's that's like a messed up way to think about it. Because think about all the pain in the world, and if, if something if things went really well for Curtis all the rest of the world would still be in the same amount of pain. You know, there'd still be all those problems, but I would just be isolated from it. But what, instead, if I'm thinking, what would be awesome if the whole world got better? Then that's that's what you would rather have as your, your thing you 
point, your your compass point. You know that that's a better way. And it's obviously we just don't think about it like that, but you can. You can get in the habit of imagining good things happening on a broader scale than just for ourselves. And that's the arrangement. You see that it's okay to have that stuff, but it's part of a larger thing, meaning you can have love of self, you can have love of the world, but they are serving the greater purpose of life, which is to be useful and good. And Swedenborg describes it further in Divine Love and Wisdom 424, which we have a little animation of for you. An earthly love separated from spiritual love is opposed to spiritual love. This is because earthly love is love for ourselves and love for the world, and spiritual love is love for the Lord and love for our neighbor. Love for ourselves and for the world looks downward and outward, and love for the Lord looks upward and inward. So when an earthly love is separated from spiritual love, it cannot be raised away from our self-absorption. It remains immersed in it and even mired in it, to the extent that it loves it. If our discernment does raise up and see elements of wisdom in heaven's light, then our love drags it back down and unites it to itself in its self-absorption. There, it either discards the elements of wisdom or distorts them or arranges them outside itself so that it can mouth them for the sake of reputation. If you take nothing else away from this show tonight, take this. Our purpose matters. What we focus on as the goal of our life, consciously or subconsciously, and if it's subconsciously, take a look, see what what am I? What are my goals? Where where do I have things prioritized in the right way? That matters because that is just like the physical body is forming during the period in the womb, and you really need things to go right there in order to get a baby that's like cute and the right shape. We are forming, this is the womb for the spirit. We are forming our spirits on this earth. And we need to keep the conditions right to really get that spirit in the right shape. And how we do that is focus on what we're focusing on. What, what is the goal and making the greater good our goal. Spiritual Experiences 801, he says, Our life consists of our motives, which are mostly the same as our loves. And our motives taken together are like our soul. And such indeed does our soul become. For one's soul looks only toward purposes and is a bundle of purposes. So it is that during bodily life we develop a soul for ourselves, which is our character and instinct. It's almost like instead of the physical body is composed of cells, where the spiritual body is composed of purposes and goals. So we can make our spiritual bodies more and more healthy by getting things in the right order. And in case you want a little picture of what that right order is like, Swedenborg describes it, Secrets of Heaven 5949. Take a look. The situation is like the relationship between the body and its soul. We have every obligation to take care of our body, making sure it is nourished, clothed, and indulged with worldly pleasures. The whole point, though, is the soul, not the body. The point is for the soul to function in a healthy body that responds properly and to have the body as its fully obedient instrument. The soul will then be our final purpose. Except that the soul will not be a final but only an intermediate purpose. We will take care of our soul not for its own sake, but for the sake of services we then perform in both worlds. And when being useful is our goal, the Lord is our goal because he disposes us to be useful and oversees the useful activity itself. 
It's not that don't feel like this is too hard to do. Nobody's expecting perfect, constant focus on the good of all. You never put yourself... We're all going to fluctuate. We're going to have days, moments where love of self is on the top, love of world is on the top. But overall, the more often we can get love of the neighbor, love of the Lord, higher and higher. And if we're making... Even if we just set as an intention that you, we want to do that, even though we know we're not there, that's a purpose in itself. It's just... It's not It's not an impossible task. It's not where we'll we're being graded really sharply. It's just that we want to make an effort in that direction, and that has a big, huge payoff. So hopefully this show has had a payoff for you tonight. If so, please feel free to like and subscribe. That helps our video get out and, and hopefully do some good or at least provide some entertainment for people. If you want to keep this engine going that makes content like this Donate to the show. Uh, tax season is already upon us, but if you're looking for next year to start to build up your nonprofit donation status, uh, we would really appreciate it. That you know, we we don't sell this stuff; we give it away because we want people to access it, so have access to it. So if you feel like, oh, I want to give back, do it. That would be awesome. Thanks. All right, we're gonna get to a couple of questions that people have given us uh, right on the other side of this video break. here this is the uh, question and effort section where you guys ask questions and i make my best effort to say something about them let's see what we got this one is from barb n how do we gracefully interact with those who are angry controlling etc without being harmed especially if we are extremely sensitive that's a great question and a perennial question because you hear all this stuff about love 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 you gotta love people but people are dangerous sometimes. People are toxic sometimes. How do you do it? I think about, um, I mean, I can't give advice for every specific situation. There are certain times when you just got to get out of there. You know, with domestic violence situations, whatever, there, there's times when it's like you, you can't be around. Uh, but there's all kinds of gray area uh, on the other side of that. <clears throat> Thinking about that the house diagram that we had where there was, you know, you get the loves prioritized and then you go into the basement and like he says, correct these evil spirits, tell them what to do. Not that you can just go to people and say, you should live like this, but that's something to be said for assertiveness and boundary setting. Like you, you cannot speak like that to me, which actually Swedenborg says is charity. If you can correct somebody like that, because otherwise they're not going to realize they're doing something wrong and they're not going to be able to be reformed from that thing, which is going to turn out bad for them in the end. But if you're, but so that, that's, that's if it's easy for you to do something like that. But if you're, as you say, very sensitive, that is hard. I mean, that there's a certain amount of internal work you can do, you know, like anything that's hurting you is a good opportunity to build trust with God. Like, okay, you know, I know that what this person is saying can't be true because I know that, that you're, you're taking care of me, but you got to see what the limits are. What Try a little bit of, can I be assertive? Can I set healthy boundaries? Can I confront? Can I do spiritual work? But if it still isn't quite working, you got to put some, some safe distance. That's, I'm not a professional psychiatrist, but that's my thoughts on it. Thanks for the question. Let's look at the next one. Karin, does Swedenborg say why we are here in this life? He does. 
Um, I know if you mean like existence in general, it's it's God put us here to make us eternally happy. But from our end, it's because we can provide a use. We can, I mean, we can do something for the human race that nobody else can really do in that so we can serve humanity in a specific way. If you mean, why are we on earth? I was talking about it earlier in the episode when I said, um, it's like the womb. We are here because in this environment, we can make choices. We can form a character in a state of freedom when there's, when we're still, you know, like Swedenborg talks about the love of self and how it will go out of control if it's not held in check here we're held in check so we can we won't just start by going off the handle we can see an evil push it back mitigate it whereas when you get into the spiritual world you just go for things so this is our chance to kind of reform ourselves so those are a couple thoughts and then i mean on to like are there specific purposes for people like i was meant to do this thing i don't know i think there's some of that swedenborg doesn't get too deeply into that but i do think that there may be some of that obviously there's a greater purpose for each of us because we can serve the human race as our individual self like nobody else can but i don't know how much of life is about us accomplishing specific goal specific specific goals on the earth so those are my thoughts Okay, great question. Let's take a look at a few more. Ashley, <clears throat> excuse me. How is it that no one in hell is allowed to sin further than they had on earth, but those in heaven can be raised up eternally into deeper love and wisdom to eternity? Yeah, Swedenborg does say that, that nobody, that hell, people in hell are not allowed to go deeper into evil, but heavenly people keep going up. And that that's, I see it as love from God, because the deeper you go into evil, the more miserable you make yourself. And the higher you go up into heaven, the happier you are. So really, God is pushing everyone up as much as they can. With people who are bent on evil, he's just saying, wait, don't go any lower. You're going to, you're at least I'm not going to let you make yourself, we're going to get as much happiness as we can, even in this sort of corrupt state that you're in. Whereas heavenly people, he's like, let's go. I, I want you to be happy. I'm going to keep making you more and more happy. So hopefully that makes sense. All right, let's do two more. Um, <clears throat> this one is from Andre. Could life be a dream? And it and reality is in the afterlife? Well, on a certain level, I mean, you'll certainly hear in near-death experience, people come back and say, this is like a dream. Uh, merrily, merrily, merrily. Maybe they don't sing that song, but this is like a dream here. And Swedenborg certainly says that the next life is much clearer. Our senses are sharper. Everything seems more real there. It feels more vivid, more vital, more more present. So in a certain way, I mean, this is very real. Life can be a very, it's not like a dream where... You know, when you're in a dream, you don't really have a sense of, oh, how'd I get here? I don't know. Um, you just kind of do things. But here we very much, things go linearly from one thing to another. But it's certainly not the most real form. And a lot of people do talk about feeling like they woke up when they get to the next life. So thanks for that one. Let's do another one. Higher level energy. <clears throat> what do you think the ratio of good to evil is? Hmm. And I wonder if you mean like, uh, like how many good people are there compared to evil people? And you might say there's not good and evil people. There's just shades of gray. Swedenborg says that, yeah, here in the spiritual world, you kind of distill and whatever was your ruling love, you, if you're evil, you kind of put your good things to sleep. If you're good, you put your evil things to sleep. So there, I, I think there's, there's a balance in terms of number of communities, but in terms of people, I don't know. Swedenborg does sometimes say like evil is more prevalent. There might be more people choosing evil, but he doesn't give exact uh, numbers. So, or if you just mean the ratio of 
good to evil? Like how much good does it take to make an evil? I don't know. I don't have any numbers on that. Swedenborg says God is infinite, so there's no ratio. The evil is essentially a vacuum. It's it's a it's a um lack of a something. It's a lack of goodness. Like like darkness is a lack of light rather than being a something you can't like have a packet of darkness and spread it out in a room. Those are my thoughts. I probably didn't understand it right. And that is how the question segment always goes. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. We're going to be back next week. We're going to take a look at children in heaven, children in the afterlife. What happens when someone leaves this world at a young age? So hopefully you'll join us then. Thanks for watching. See ya.